You know, I'm not sure how I should feel about this as a preacher. So many times people come up to me and say, you know, your sermon was all right, but that children's message, <laughs> that children's message was just so clear and easy to understand. It was really good. And you know what? They're right. Huge compliments to all of our children's message messengers. The, the beauty of a children's message is that it's short and to the point. It's not watered down, but it's efficient. When we give a children's message, we want you to know what God says and what it means for you. And bonus, if you can find a way to apply that to your own life. That's what we want. We want the truth of God's word to be crystal clear. But that seems a bit ironic as we begin this series on parables. Because oftentimes, parables, as creative and imaginative as they might be, and as much as Jesus paints a picture with words so that the surface of the story is easy to understand, oftentimes the true meaning of the parable is difficult to discern. And to make matters worse, Jesus actually says that's the point. <laughs> you, you heard the parable read earlier about the sower and the seed. It, it's a simple story. A farmer goes out, he sows seed on four different types of soil, but only one of them produces fruit. That's it. That's the parable, right? Short, sweet, to the point. And if that's all we had, I think we'd be left scratching our heads. <laughs> Maybe you did that as you heard the parable read, like, I don't really understand what this means. But in Matthew's telling of the story, he, he gives more. He goes on. And that's to our benefit because we get to understand a little bit about what parables are and what they mean. So let me continue and pick up where our scripture reading for today left off. Jesus has said, he who has ears, let him hear. And then the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? And Jesus answered them, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, you will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive, for this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Huh? <laughs> what, what in the world does Jesus mean? If you were confused before, I guarantee you're even more confused now. You will hear, but never understand, see, but never perceive. Is this some kind of cruel joke? That Jesus would come and say, I have the answers, and I could give them to you, but I'm going to wrap them up in a riddle that you'll never be able to solve. Now, before we go any further into this parable, I think it's important that we lay down some guiding principles for the entire series on the parables of Jesus. It's important to know how and how not to read them, to read these parables so that you can begin to understand as Jesus says, the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. And that's the very first principle. Parables are about 
the kingdom of God. They're not simply stories where you get to extract or assume an interpretation that's relevant to yourself only, or relative truths about humanity and their character. Jesus teaches in parables to tell us about life in the kingdom of God under the reign of Jesus. But let's back up from there even further and look at all of Scripture, not just the parables. If you've ever read something in the Bible and you've been left scratching your head as to what it means, really, you're in good company. (laughs) The whole of Scripture can actually be pretty confusing. It's a confusing book to unlock unless unless you have the right key. In the field of theology, we have a big fancy word when it comes to understanding Scripture and what it means. It's called hermeneutics. Say it with me. Hermeneutics. God bless you. (laughs) Hermeneutics means interpretation. How do we interpret? How do we unlock the meaning of what God has given to us in his word? As we study Scripture then, we have what we call hermeneutical principles. These are various filters that we use to get down to the core ingredients, the main point of what God is trying to say. And and these principles involve various things. When was the scripture written? In time. And to whom? Who was the intended audience? What's the geographical, historical, or cultural context of this particular word? Especially important when you're looking at a, a single verse or a section of verses in Scripture, is to look at the context of the entire chapter or book that it's written in. And even then, beyond that, where does that particular section fit in with the whole of the Bible? Now, I can't even begin to cover the whole of this right now, but but two things are extremely important to consider as we read God's Word, and especially for the sake of the parables. The first is this, the first principle is this, that Scripture interprets scripture. Now what I mean when I say that is that if you don't understand what one verse is saying, there is another verse somewhere in scripture that will be the key to understanding it. You can't simply guess at what it means. God has an intended meaning and he's already revealed its meaning, its intent, its purpose somewhere else in scripture. And the second principle that that guides us through and helps us make sense of of all things is that it's all about Jesus. If you, want a, if you want a bigger word for that, you would say it's Christocentric. Everything in Scripture points us to Christ. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. It's all about Jesus, no matter what you think, which means that God's Word is not about you, primarily. It's not about what you are to do. It's about what Jesus has done and continues to do, and will do for you. Consider the encounter that that two of Jesus' disciples had on the road to Emmaus. It's the Easter season. Easter was last Sunday. And on that Easter afternoon, these disciples are walking and talking and trying to make sense of everything they had learned from Scripture, what we call the Old Testament, in light of what they just experienced themselves. These last three days in Jerusalem, from the upper room to now the resurrection of Jesus, and in light of the last three years that Jesus was walking and talking and preaching. As they're walking, Jesus appears to them on that road, and we're told that Jesus 
kept his identity hidden from them at first. And he asked them, hey, guys, what are you talking about? And here's how Luke tells this story. And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened these days? And Jesus said to them, What things? And they said, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word, before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be contemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came, came back saying that, that they had even seen visions of angels who said that he was alive. Some of us who were with uh, us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. And then Jesus says to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And here's the key. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he, Jesus, interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Later we hear that, that Jesus goes with them to Emmaus, he sits down, and then as he shares a meal with them, as he breaks bread in their presence, then, then their eyes are open and they see Jesus. They know it's him. Who opened their eyes? Who was the catalyst for them to see? Who was the key to understanding the scriptures? Who are all the scriptures about? Jesus. So with these two principles in mind, the primary goal of reading scripture is not for you to extract your own interpretation or to try and find out what it means to you in your life. It's there. But the essential truth and message of Scripture is more universal in nature, in that it applies to everyone in the same way. Namely, that Christ has come to seek and save the lost by the shedding of his blood for the forgiveness of sins, his resurrection, which assures us of our eternal life, and his promise to return, bringing with him a new heavens and a new earth. So, as we talk about parables, an essential key to reading and understanding them is that they aren't about you either. Jesus didn't preach and teach in parables to teach you moral lessons or discover something about yourself, although those are in there too sometimes. For example, next week you'll hear the parable of the Good Samaritan. And if I were to just kind of off the cuff ask you what the general meaning of that parable is, you'd probably say that this parable is a way of Jesus teaching us how to be good people and how to love our neighbors better. And certainly, that's true, and that's one lesson we can learn. But remember, you aren't the main point of the parable. Jesus is. So, in that parable and in any of them, before you go looking for yourself in the story, as we often do, first, seek out Jesus. What is this parable telling you about what Christ 
will do or what he has done or what sinful men will do to him in order to bring about the will and the reign and the kingdom of God. So as we look at the parables then, first we look for Jesus and then realize that Jesus is teaching about what God does in order to establish his kingdom on earth and for eternity. His kingdom, which is founded in the midst of a dirty, twisted, backward, sinful world and which is established by the bloody death and the glorious resurrection of our King Jesus. So, (laughs) back to the parable of the sower, finally. Now, one of the beautiful things about Matthew's recollection of this parable moment is that Jesus, although in one breath he says, these are not easily understood, in another he actually interprets this parable for us. Here's how the story continues. Jesus says, hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word, immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke out the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, and in another sixty, and in another thirty. So, in this parable... To highlight the truth of the kingdom, God sows the seed of his word everywhere. Notice he doesn't just choose good soil. (laughs) He throws it all over the place. We learn that the seed is the word of the kingdom, or more to the point, words about Jesus and what he will do. But even more to the point, the very seed, the very word of God is Jesus, the word made flesh. Jesus comes for everyone. He comes for those beaten down, hardened, and skeptical. Those who want to believe in something that they in the end up believing everything, which is then to believe in nothing. Christ comes to those who cannot by themselves overcome the temptations and pleasures of this world, who are so blinded by the illusion of success or power or riches that they choke God out of their lives. Christ has come for everyone but not everyone will receive Jesus. When Jesus quotes Isaiah and he talks about keeping people from understanding lest they turn and be healed, he isn't being heartless. He's illustrating a reality that people don't want God to come to them in the way he does. They want God to be what they want him to be. They want God to give them what they want. They will only hear what they want to hear and see what they want to see and take to heart what what they want to. They'll take the parts of God that, that fit their own worldview and leave the rest behind. They want to establish the terms of their own life or even faith apart from God. And in doing so, miss the true meaning and purpose of the life God gives. 
The life God gives is not one in which we live for ourselves, but for the benefit of others. Now, typically, at this point, in thinking about this parable, you may expect me to ask you to determine what kind of soil you are, to dig down deep and think about your life, whether you are hard and compact or rocky or thorny soil. And if so, you better change your ways so that you can become good soil because that's what God wants. But I'm not going to say that because that's not the point of the parable. In fact, it's not a matter of which kind of soil you are, but where the sower sows. We learn that the sower throws seed all over the place. He doesn't discriminate. His word, the saving word, falls on all soil types. He shows no partiality, no favor to one or the other, for God is a gracious, loving, and compassionate God. And he's always been this way. He was this way in the Old Testament too. Although we often wrongfully think that the Old Testament is is mostly about God getting angry at his people and punishing them, and the New Testament is Jesus being merciful. But the truth is, God's grace and mercy and love and compassion is evident and abundant all throughout Scripture. Yes, certainly, we see God getting angry or speaking judgment and punishing sinners. But the thing that grieved God the most from the beginning of time, and I would say to this day, is not necessarily what we do or don't do, but, but when we reject his word and his promises. If we reject God's word and his truth, it's a rejection of God himself. Here's our confession. We are all hardened soil, rocky soil, thorny soil. When it comes to faith and righteousness, there is there's no good soil to be found anywhere. But God is in the business of changing soil, changing hearts. And the catalyst that converts bad soil to good soil, rotten soil to fertile soil, is not anything you can do. It's not anything you can change on your own. The thing that changes our hearts is simply receiving the seed that falls on you. It's hearing God's word of truth and trusting that it's good and right. It's all by God's grace. Here's what Jesus says to his disciples right before he explains the parable. He says, But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. Truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. God's prophets of old saw and they heard, certainly, but not in the same way the disciples did, or you and I. What was different? Jesus. The prophets of the, of the uh, people of the Old Testament had the promise of God, certainly, but only the promise. And now the disciples and we, we have the fulfillment of that promise in Jesus Christ. The promise that Christ came to seek and save the lost, the brokenhearted, those with no hope, those whose hearts are hardened, those who are sick and suffering, those who are helpless, those who have sinned and turned from God. These are the ones Christ has come for. You and me, the whole world. 
Listen to this. God loves you. And this is how he shows it. While you were right in the middle of sinfulness, right in the act of rejection, right in the pursuit of the things of this world, as you were turning away from God, he came for you. Not to judge, not to condemn, but to take the punishment for sin that belonged to you upon himself. And he bore the weight and he suffered the death that we deserve on the cross so that you would never be cut off from God. And then Jesus rose from the dead and he comes to you today to make this promise to you. He comes in his word, which we proclaim. He comes in the Lord's Supper, which we taste and see that God is real. He comes to you in your baptism. He is with you always so that you can know that you are his forever. Nothing can separate you from God's love because of Jesus. If you've heard this a thousand times, or if you're hearing this for the very first time, it's true. If there is something in your heart that delights at those words you just heard, even if you struggle to believe it, then hear it again. Christ loves you. Don't be concerned about what type of soil you are. Don't go and revisit your guilt. Don't think for a moment that God cannot love someone like me. If you hear and see Jesus for you, on the cross, risen from the grave, then you are good soil. His word has been planted in your heart. The Holy Spirit will grow that word and it will flower and blossom and produce fruit. If you're hearing these words for the first time or in a new way and you've got questions, come, let's talk about it. I assure you, God's love for you is real and abundant. God promises that that the word he sends out, that the word that he throws will not return to him until it accomplishes what he wants it to. God's will is that you would be his forever. And that work is done already in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.